Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. It was probably an audio glitch, but I thought you said Fobcast. And Could I just be. thought about, like, out of the cars that we have, like, most of the fobs don't work. And so yeah. I immediately became angry. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my million dollar idea. It streams only to your car's keyless key fob. So if you're uh, so if that battery runs out, you'll be angry for several reasons. <laughs> yes, yeah. If we're making a fobcast, I'm just going to be ranting the whole time. That's fair enough. Seems reasonable. The other uh, one of my favorite, and this will uh, work for our current conditions here, where I don't know about wherever you are in the world, listener, but here in the uh, Midwest and of the American United States of America, we are currently melting. Uh huh. And I did, and once for an old car, I had lose. Uh, it's wireless uh, uh, lock and unlock capability because I was in the town Lee is in now visiting and uh, had left my key somewhere that it was in direct sunlight in August. And it literally melted the circuitry inside yeah. of the key fob to the point that it wow. was useless. So <laughs> dang dude, anytime I feel hot and that doesn't happen, I, uh, I try to grab some thankfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, it is a hundred degrees in the shade in Chicago. But it did not melt the thing I opened my car with, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have, despite our very, very uh, sweaty and uh, heated uh, situations, we are continuing to put out a show. Now, does that make us the real heroes? Hard to say. We wouldn't say <laughs> that. We're free. You're, you feel free to say it. Sounds like it. Um, we, we soldier on uh, only in our own, each individual air-conditioned studios, like the true mm. uh, pioneers and, and brave, brave <laughs> boys that we are. Uh, answering your questions, bringing you some great stuff. But first, we must start with some emergencies. Ooh. Now, I say emergency plural because we've got a, we got a couple things we want to talk about here. The first one, we'll see how long we go on this because this one could go either way. Sometimes there's a lot to say about something because it's stupid. And sometimes it's so stupid, all you can say is, <sighs> Well, that's about where we are. Yeah. Uh, I read a headline from uh, Twitter.com. Lauren Bobert, and if you are blessed enough to not know who that is, dear listener, if you live international, you're doing great. Or just don't pay attention to these things. She is a uh, congressional representative from the state of Colorado. She uh, left her previous career of owning a veteran-themed restaurant when it was sued for giving several people food poisoning. True uh-huh. story. Ah, uh-huh. so that's the kind of care and attention to detail she brings to her current job as a United States congressional representative. And she recently said, <laughs> claims Jesus, quote, didn't have enough AR-15s to keep his government from killing him. Mm. Cool. Now, here's the thing, dear listener, before we get rolling, that uh, kind of polite yet horrified silence you just heard the three of us give. Um, she's at some, you know, wackadoo Christian whatever or something, uh, public, uh, Christian pol- politics, whatever, which, you know, that's insane. But that's about the reaction she got in the room. Right. She said that. And the people who paid money to come to a mega church to hear insane person Lauren Bobert speak kind of as one went, oh, that's not that's not good. Yeah. yeah. You could tell that she had that in the chamber for an applause break. And that's not the way that went. Yes, it was. It did have a very uh, pastoral beat of that of this is the thing i wrote when i was at the coffee shop they're gonna love it huh nothing nothing 
And then you can just pinpoint the moment where their heart breaks in half because you can always tell when pastor, the only thing he really cared about anyone celebrating in this sermon was this one line and no one else really liked it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Jesus was crucified because he didn't have enough AR-15s. Now of all the issues with this, I would hope that one would be enough. Let alone many to necessitate an entire rack. Exactly. Get the net. If you're to repel, you know, whatever temple guards came out, hope that one AR-15 would be enough. But Jesus didn't have an AR-15. He did have a sword. Peter had a sword. It's in the story. Like, yep. This is one of those things where you're watching a movie with somebody and they're like, where did that guy come from? And you're like, he's like, they spent 10 minutes explaining who that guy is. Yeah. They, this was part of the narrative. You don't have to have read the comic books to get this part. <laughs> There's a whole thing where he says, yes, I could kill them all easily. What with the being God and all, but I'm not gonna. I could call 12 legions of angels. I could literally nuke the entire population of the planet in a millisecond. Put the sword away, Peter, let alone the AR-15. Yeah. It's not even subtext. It's just guys, the text. To go back to guys. our previous episode, the subtext has become text. And this one, it started off as text. Yeah. You've, you've brought up a lot of good points, a lot of salient points, a lot of uh, literate and sane points. But let me, you know, let me devil's advocate oh, here. Oh, I was hoping the sentence was going to stop there. <laughs> this is a series of compliments sentence. about our points from Jed. <laughs> I'd like to play uh, devil's advocate for a minute. Did not Jesus say... Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down suppressive fire for his friends. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He did in my new Patriot Bible. <laughs> Patriot Bible. Are there some things Jesus said about sacrifice and forgiveness that you just don't like? Well, we took them out. Patriot Bible. American politicians have been literally cutting things they didn't like out of the Bible since the very beginning of this country. That's famously what Thomas Jefferson did. He cut out all the miracles out of his New Testament with scissors. That's true. So, look, Lauren Bober, also elected to be a politician in this country, just removes the pieces of the Bible that she doesn't like to make room for the guns, which is clearly what she very, very much likes. You know... I, with all these uh, insane uh, firebrand kind of social media born politicians, whether it be a Lauren Boebert or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or Madison Cawthorn or, or whoever. And there's been a lot of uh, analysis of that particular uh, phenomenon and the insane things they say for engagement. I think Lee may be the first person who's ever come up with Lauren Boebert is, con- is continuing in the Jeffersonian academic tradition. Yeah. And I like yeah, that, that was excellent. That was very good. I will also point out that Thomas Jefferson had one of the first uh, copies of the Quran ever brought into the Western Hemisphere. He didn't edit that, so just oh. interesting. If you if you've been listening to this show for a while and you were raised with a certain idea of the founding fathers, if we haven't uh, totally mm. taken a hatchet to that yet, there's one more for the pile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they weren't great. No, just you know they did pretty good for a bunch of uh, slave owning syphilitics. <laughs> you know they came up with some ideas, but. Eh. <laughs> Wow, that was expertly delivered. I feel like there are a lot of people who who listen to this show, who who get a lot out of it, who love us, who 
some that we know in real life who differ with us on some issues and they show us a lot of great patience as we kind of yeah. pick away at those things. And I'm interested if that yeah. was the last straw for anyone. If it was, well, I was going to say, Matt, you were, you were dancing on the, the slack line of Patreon episode versus uh, the free show right there. And look, all I'm saying is if, if for a bunch, if quote, for a bunch of slave owning syphilitics, if that's not the title of the episode, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would bring intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, occasionally one of the most common emails we get to the show and we appreciate it other than questions is what episode did you say this thing in, or did you cover this? And often for, for like 400 some episodes, we didn't name them. So I it kind of, it's uh, me poking through notes and stuff. And it's normally easy to find. If you have that kind of question, feel free. But I feel like anything we talk about on a bunch of slave owning syphilitics is going to stay top of mind. Yeah, yeah, that's that making is, it memorable right there. Absolutely. So, um, well, I think you're going to have to put more context in the title because if the episode is just called "A Bunch of Slave Slave Owning Syphilitics," true. Then for the, for the newcomer, it's like, is that who hosts the show? Yeah, that's let's true. be clear, all, dear all listener. Of our names no, are in the iTunes description, we may not want it, that. It has it has to be quote they did pretty good for a bunch of you know, yeah, et cetera, no. et cetera. I think that's that's very very fair. Um, here's here's the thing too: whether you are a representative Bobert, any of these people who really think that the the problem with the uh, New Testament is that Jesus didn't have enough guns, you you can just pick another religion. Sure, yeah. Like the whole I I I don't do violence, turn the other cheek. Like it's pretty foundational to this one. You can't just kind of excise that out. So you want something else? That's fine. If yeah. if my understanding is correct, in certain Norse religions, you have to die in combat to go to paradise. There you go. Hillbilly Valhalla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't I don't think I'm wrong when uh Prince of Peace is not spelled P I E C E as in what peace are you carrying? Yeah. Oh man, I am picturing the billboard on I-75 between Georgia and Tennessee <laughs> for Prince of Peace Gun Range and Evangelical Christian Center. There it is. Wow, dude. I'll be shocked if that doesn't exist. And if it doesn't, it will shortly because we've learned that when we say things on this show, that's what happens. Yep. Yeah, we're kind of the Simpsons slash Futurama of Christian malbehavior. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Absolutely. Um, no, none of us got into Harvard. <clears throat> but that is the main difference. Uh, so we leave Lauren Bober behind as, uh, gosh, I hope we all get to do that at some point. Um, but we move on to the second half of emergency. So that was something that you would you would desperately wish was a troll, a, a thing said provocatively on the internet only to get a response. Um, though there's the the frightening, frightening idea that this is what this person who has some sort of power in the American political system actually believes and purports to be Christianity. Um, so that's very disturbing. So we move from that to a thing that is, we know for 100% fact meant to be a troll. We know that because the account that uh, that sent it to us has the word troll in its name. And that's okay. very good. Uh, this is from Palmer Trolls on TikTok. And we had a couple people, I think, send this to Lee. It is, uh, it's quite brilliant. that This guy's bit is great. He goes on Facebook, finds people on Facebook who are mad about things, and then creates like just a new account. But he'll give it the name of whatever. So it's someone complaining about Walmart, and he will create... Walmart customer service team account on Facebook and be like, we don't care. Wow. We're not giving you a refund. And watch <laughs> people do that. Yeah. 
So in this particular one, uh, Joel Osteen, uh, noted one-sided uh, rivalry recipient on this podcast for many years, has, as you would imagine, a Facebook page. And not shockingly, a lot of people uh, use that to uh, request prayer uh, for things going on in their lives, maybe from uh, Pastor Osteen, maybe from people, other people in this community, whatever, which, you know, as far as uh, uses for social media, that's one of the far less uh, disastrous ones. But that's where the genius of this gentleman comes in, because he created his own Joel Osteen Facebook account and informed people that they would not, he would not be hearing any prayer requests from them unless they signed up for the $24.99. I believe, if I'm remembering, it is the Platinum Prayer Partner Plan. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Now, the, the concerning thing about the state of the American church, and if you uh, are somebody who's pro-Joel Osteen, the concern about this is no, not everyone immediately realized that's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Osteen people like blocked it or just said this isn't real. Here's the thing. If somebody says, no, 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 platinum prayer plan, you have to say that's not a thing we actually do. That's, uh, that's a branding issue. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, all the all the words started with the same letter, so it's just like the sermons they've been hearing their entire lives. It all tracked. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's I don't know if uh, this gentleman knows anything about church culture. Uh, he seems to just be a stand-up comedian who does this for fun, but he either witting, willingly or unwittingly really, really nailed the alliterative aspect and the charging. Yes. Well, I'd like to add another P to what I think might be the most American thing of all time. The Platinum Prayer Payment Plan. Wow. You can oh. basically get prayers on credit, but then you have to make payments to cover the costs after the fact. Wow. The Platinum Prayer Payment Plan. This is like that afterpay thing you see on every website you try to buy something exactly on? Exactly right. Exactly right. So if we're really hurting, we can just like, can we put like some prayers on layaway for Christmas? This is exactly it. Yes. Yeah. But if you miss the final payments, uh, your blessing will be held in uh, arbitration. <laughs> <laughs> Could we, and I feel like this would be a, a pretty good uh, topic for a reality TV show on like faith TV or something. Could we get started as blessing repo men? If wow. you fail to make sufficient payments, we repossess your blessing. Yeah, that is that's a really stunning proposition. You show yeah. up at the house with the with like the aviator sunglasses and the little wire coming out of the shirt into the ear, yeah. like the earpiece. Yeah, man, I unbless you. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I like the idea that you 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 know you pray you did quad pay for the twenty five dollars for the uh, platinum prayer plan. And, you know, you've got the car, you can make the car payments, but you didn't make the prayer payments, so we come repo it anyway. <laughs> well, in, in the Old Testament, the, the, the opposite is cursings, right? There's the blessings right. and the curses. And, you know, so, like, that's the, the way that they would read, like, the, you know, the law of Moses. You'd have some people read the blessings, some people read the curses. So I'm, I'm thinking the, the T-shirts that we wear, um, they would, you know, instead of saying event staff or, what, or you know, or uh, FBI or whatever, it would just be the curse crew. Oh, oh. that's good. That's good. Yeah. 
Speaking of the uh, the kind of you know something that's very American, uh, there's a a a kind of YouTube series uh, by a bunch of Irish guys that I watch, and they're, they're, one of the things they were reviewing had a Repo Man character in it. Okay, and it was doing the whole thing where you sneak in at night and steal, and they were like, "Okay, why did why did they make this kind of thing up? This is insane! Like, if somebody misses a payment, you would just like go and explain that." And then, like, the next episode, they were like, so we've heard from many Americans. And it turns <laughs> out that, yes, in order to not get shot while doing this, you do have to go in the dead of night. And it is an entire industry. And it was just watching someone from another country realize that this thing they thought was made up for dystopian fiction was totally real. Yeah. Yeah, it's just normal life here. So I think yeah. doing that with the kind of the financialization of blessing as a middleman is not that far off. Yeah. I also like the idea of, of pastor Osteen kind of, you know, trying to raise a certain amount of money with this, with this, uh, prayer subscription scheme. And like, you know how, um, back in the day when you'd have like a, a fundraising campaign, you would have, you would draw like a thermometer and you would like color oh, yeah. in like, yeah. uh, like a, you know, layer tiers and layers of how much money has been raised. But instead of a thermometer, it's just a picture. It's like a drawing of Joel Osteen's face and you just color in different teeth as <laughs> as we as we progress towards the goal there it is there it is love it well with every uh platinum prayer partnership you also get the platinum plaque prevention partnership oh yeah joe Osteen and colgate get together and you know your prayers will be heard <laughs> but your breath won't be smelled wow yeah that's good that's very solid that is again just as believable as the platinum prayer partnership which apparently was believable enough that the Joel Osteen people had to go to Snopes to get it. <laughs> there was a Snopes article. This wasn't real. That was the best part. And then the, the troll guy, the comedian, goes back and creates a different Snopes page that says, actually, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> He's just unrelenting. And I'm sure that's led to some, some sermon about uh, you know, relativism and the evils of it. But I, I really like the idea that there was a talk at Osteen headquarters of, well, do we have to say anything about this? And someone explaining, yes, we do, because this really does seem to a lot of people like the kind of thing we would do. <laughs> so we do actually need to call Snopes. After all, a plumber did find a wall full of <laughs> bags of cash. Yeah. yeah. I feel like one thing we don't get enough of on the show, and it's what some of our some of our listeners may not know, is just like just every now and then a matte impression of Joel Osteen's um, silky smooth southern accent just because you can do stuff like that but I just don't feel like you give it to the people enough and I like the idea of that conference room and of people explaining to Joel like hey buddy we have to shut this down but I think it could work yeah you know <laughs> just uh, yeah just as genteel well no one would believe that we would do that would they <laughs> yeah a lot of people are googling is this true or not yep but we let people in after the hurricane, <laughs> that second one after the first one where we didn't let them in and people yelled at us. What more do they yep. want? <laughs> there it was. Yeah. There it was. I like the idea of also just just for giggles, figuring out how many words that begin with the letter P could you add to this <laughs> thing just to like how many how many layers can you make it to where people actually stop Googling whether or not it's true? Yeah. Well, yeah, you could, well, yeah, all the different tiers of the prayer partner program, the platinum prayer partner program, the platinum, yeah. the premier platinum prayer partner program, 
There it is. The predestinational, (laughs) paradisical, premium, platinum prayer plan. Eventually, it gets to the point where the only church announcements are just the guy saying all of these. And they have to get an auctioneer in so that he can do the the pronunciation. It's the guy that used to do the Hot Wheels commercials in the 80s. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I feel like as far as church gimmicks go, the fastest church announcements in the tri-state area would be something that people would go like, well, that's not nothing. Yeah, I'll stop by for that. That's fantastic. There's always something to be said. And this is just free advice for people who run church services, meetings, uh, conferences. If if all else fails, go for speed. Yeah. <laughs> people enjoy speed because they probably are going to enjoy whatever meal they're going to have next yeah. over this. You just dismiss people before they were anticipating. You just see how fired up they are to come back next week. Yeah. In recently taking a, a job in actual corporate America, one of the things that I have, I thought was maybe a bit that they only do on TV shows in the Zoom era that apparently is a real thing now, but it is delightful, is when a meeting ends early, like it was set for an hour, and everyone's on Zoom, and the person will just go, oh, I, I guess that's all we have. Um, I'll just give you your 15 minutes back. And suppose it really nice. does feel like that. And just feel <laughs> free to do that. Say, you know, if any of you are expecting an hour and a half service, if we get done in an hour and 15 minutes, well, you're welcome. Yeah. Nice. The fact that we had the Micro Machines man doing the, uh, the <laughs> announcements... Saved us an extra minute and a half. Always a beautiful thing. And on that, we will declare emergency off. We're going to move on to your fine questions now. If you have a question, you can uh, hang, out, hang out with us all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can touch this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description. Click either of the links you find there. I've been doing that exact spiel for several hundred episodes. I don't know why my brain uh, just kind of wandered off there for a second. But hey, we got it back. The question now is, <laughs> where are we going? Will you, the listener, know what I'm talking about? Because did I have time to do that much editing? The answer is often, not really. We'll move on to our first question here. It comes in and says, my partner and I are moving and we'll be looking for a new church. I've only ever gone to one denomination in my life. I want to use this as an opportunity to explore what's out there. What's the best way to go about that? An excellent question. A really, really cool idea. And I love that concept of using this as an opportunity uh, to look at something when a lot of people um, understandably when they have to leave a church for whatever reason it closes down or the moving is a very common one there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that and a lot of people don't take the step of finding out what's out there Um, Jed and I have talked to a lot of people who run uh, churches especially in the area we live in and one of the very common things you'll hear is especially for a couple of denominations that are very big is You have to make sure to get an ad in the yellow pages or in Google or whatever, because people will move and type in this type of church plus my town and just be like, okay, I guess that's the one I go to now. Yep. Which can work out, can, you know, like any other consumer decision you make that way. You Being a Ford man your entire life can really work or really not. Uh, Such it might be the same with church denominations. But Jed, uh, so as we encourage this attitude of, Seeing what's out there, but not necessarily knowing anything else about what's out there, what is a good place to start? Well, first and foremost, congratulations to you and your partner on the move and the new adventure and, and all the new stuff that's coming into your life. We, we all hope that's all happy and positive and cool and exciting. We've got your back. We're praying for you. Uh, in terms of looking for a new church, 
So I want to uh, refer back to the greater wisdom of Mike Judge in the movie Office Space, where it is said, people can get a cheeseburger anywhere, okay? They come to Tchotchkes for the atmosphere and the attitude. It's about fun, okay? So, now, so you want me to wear more? Johnson has 37 pieces of flair. If, if you feel like you doing the bare minimum is you expressing yourself, well, okay. So, so more. <laughs> also, feel free to take that on and just, as you go to your church, especially if you find one where you think the pastor could use to be knocked down a step, just pick something that has numerical value and be like, so at the last place we visited, they did five songs. And I can't notice that you did three. Do you feel like that's enough? <laughs> I love it. A little psychological it. warfare. Never hurt anybody. Absolutely. You know, you can learn a lot from their response. So in the spirit, though, of, you know, we all serve cheeseburgers, but they come here because it's at- atmosphere and attitude and fun. Like, there actually is some wisdom to that. This idea of, like, knowing why people would, would come to a place. What are they What are they looking for when they come here? And I think that applies to your to your search. Like, the more that you can identify what you want out of a church experience, out of a yep. church community, out of a worship service on Sunday morning— the more you're going to be able to find it, you know? So tchotchkes is about atmosphere, attitude, and fun. What is church about for you? Is that a place where people really know you and they really know your name? Uh, By contrast, is that a place where like, I just want just like the most impressive preaching I could possibly get. I just want to be blown away by the oratorical stylings. You know, is that about convenience? Just it's a place that's near us and it's easy to get to and they've got a big parking lot. It turns out there's nothing wrong with valuing any of the things that I just mentioned or a host of other things, but what's really important to you might not be really important to someone else and vice versa. So the more that you can do that, you know, thinking through and identifying what do we care about, what do we not care about, that, that's going to help a lot. The other thing that will probably help a lot, particularly since you and your partner are, I assume, doing this together, is to debrief thoroughly after you go to a church what worked for you and what didn't work for you. What mm-hmm. did you like and what didn't you like? The, the more that you guys can talk that out and be specific, the better it's going to get. And the the one thing I would encourage you on is to adopt a no-judgment policy. Mm-hmm. One of the things that a lot of American churchgoers have been sold on this idea of like it's church, you have to, and you're not allowed to have negative thoughts about it. And you don't have to, and you are allowed to have negative thoughts about it. And you're allowed to have things that just, I just didn't like that, you know? So we went there and the bathrooms have a weird chemically smell and I don't like it. That's cool. You're, you're allowed to feel that way. Um, that may not be the ultimate decision point of which church you guys go to, but like, if you can't be honest about things you, you know, like and dislike, it's going to be really, really hard to do this well. So give yourself permission to have preferences, give yourself permission to identify the things that you care about that, you know, the equivalent of atmosphere, attitude, and fun. And talk it through with your partner and take it from there. I think you'll be able to find something that you both feel good about. An excellent, excellent place to start off. And I would definitely echo that. I think a solid debrief, a you know pros and cons column, how you made decisions is a great thing, especially as you're going into a bunch of new uh, situations and maybe places you haven't been before. Obviously, you haven't been these places before, but things you may not have encountered before. It's really helpful to kind of write some things down because you will um, most of the time. And some churches know this. Um, 
a lot of people go on vibe. A lot of people go on the last thing that happens. That's why mm-hmm. in a lot of places, the last song is a really big deal and that kind of stuff. So really nice, to, good idea to kind of keep a record of things as you're going there. And Lee, I, I love that Jed gave us that because I think it is very, very important to just kind of take down all the information that you can. Um, but yeah. then we get to the point of, to the other point he was making about how do we use that? How do we prioritize things? How do we uh, look for a decision to come out of all this stuff? And where would you take us on that? Yeah, it's really good. I, I loved all the stuff that you guys said on this. And, and I, I was, uh, I, I kept going back to a conversation I was having with, uh, some friends uh, of of ours, Matt, um, uh, Lauren and Tyler, when they were they had moved to a new city and they were looking for a church, and I would talk to them and they're and and they had such different takes. You know, Tyler would talk about, well, the you know the the pastor at this place, you know, and he would go on kind of a a really deep analysis of the way the guy spoke and the way the guy communicated certain ideas, and then I would look to look at Lauren and she would just say, yeah, I don't like guitar players with that power stance. And, <laughs> Dear and of course, she's not wrong. Yeah. So she, and and uh, and and I I I basically shared that purely for Matt's enjoyment, but also to underline Jed's point about it, you know it, it doesn't matter what the thing is. One of the things that's important about this kind of pros and cons list is, um, actually interrogating and investigating what do I find encouraging about a faith community and a church experience. Do I even know what that is? For a lot of people. The thing that that they actually don't want to mess with, they just don't want change. They get used to what they're used to. Now, I, I've been to quite a few churches in my life. I haven't been to anywhere near as many as Jed has been um, in, in in my life, but I've been to a lot of them. And it's very easy when something is not a thing that you're used to, to immediately feel a couple of things. One, uncomfortable, and then right on the heels of that, this must not be right. Um, if you're looking around for a different church, especially if you're going denomination hopping out of out of a denomination that you've been comfortable with, you're going to find a lot of different things that at first are probably going to make you feel a little uncomfortable or uneasy that may or may not be right or wrong or anything like that. And so just as Jed's saying, like, you know, we want to talk about all, all, all the way down to the nitty gritty of like the chemical smell in the bathroom. Well, you're also going to have some liturgical differences, some some just like... Lighting is a big one in in churches and different denominations. Some places don't have any windows, and they paint the ceilings black so they can completely control the lighting in the room. Some places, like the little church where I'm a pastor, we it's really well lit. There's a lot of natural light. One wall is almost entirely windows. And so if it's a nice sunny day, it's going to be bright and sunny in the room. And we like it like that. And that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make the other thing wrong. It doesn't make their thing right. But it's not just going to be those environmental things. There's also going to be things like, you go to certain denominations, you're going to recite like either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or something like, or the, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer every single time you meet. Certain denominations are going to take communion every single time that you meet. Certain denominations, you never recite anything. Certain, certain churches you'll go to and you'll do like a, like they'll ask you to pick up your bulletin and do like a communal confession of sin. If you've never done anything like that, it can be a little disquieting. It can be a weird experience. For some people, that's exactly what they need because they want someone to help them put some words to an experience that they're feeling. 
Um, and they want to be guided in some things like that. All that to say, it doesn't make those things wrong or right, but any kind of change is likely to make you feel uncomfortable. Un- discomfort is likely to, is likely to make you feel unease. And you've got to be able to kind of sift through that stuff. I, I really encourage what Jeb was saying about the, the pros and cons list, because if you start to actually investigate what is it that I'm looking for? What is it that encourages me about being together with other believers in Jesus? And then go on a hunt for that thing. So I was talking about some differences between denominations before. And if you don't know, um, you can just go to Wikipedia and you can just read about different denominations, where they came from, uh, their historical basis. If, if, if doing that kind of work, it in, engages you at all, I highly recommend it. Recommend it. Some of it is like super fascinating. Some of it's really weird and wacky. A a lot of things in churches, like, let me give you just a real quick, for instance, a lot of people assume that in the United States, the reason we have predominantly African-American churches is because different cultural groups like to worship in different ways. That's not actually true. The reason we have um, African-American churches in the United States is that a man named Roger Allen, African-American, was told he couldn't pray in a white uh, service was told to get up off of his knees and leave the service, and he started a, his own denomination because he was he was literally kicked out of the church. Um, and so we have some just historical things that like you may find fascinating, you may find really really engaging, and definitely definitely worth looking up. Uh, another thing that's to our advantage in the world that we live in now is just like things like social media where. You can go to Twitter and you're like, I've never been to a United Methodist church. I wonder what the Methodists say about themselves. Like, how do they make fun of their churches? How do they talk about what they like about it? And just like, just search hashtags about United Methodist, like memes and stuff like that. And just find out like what people think about it that are within that, within that culture, within that vibe. So same thing with the Presbyterians, with whomever, with Catholic churches, whatever the thing is. We have a lot of tools at hand to kind of find out what I might find when I go to a place I've never gone to before, understanding that any change is likely to feel uncomfortable and maybe make me feel uneasy. And if I know what I'm looking for and know what encourages me and what I'm really, really opposed to, all of that can help before I step in the doors. That's all great stuff from both of these guys. I would definitely encourage you to do that kind of research that Lee is talking about. Um, and it is important to get a sense of uh, both denominationally and often if it is a church that has something like a website, they have a statement yeah. of faith or their affiliations. And uh, if you know they're denominational, but they don't list their denominational affiliations anywhere that's easy to find, that also tells you something. There are some little things like that that you may encounter as you look at for more and more churches. And, and these days as well, you can even just listen to their sermons. You can listen to some stuff and see if you vibe with what the whoever's speaking is talking about too. Yeah, that's a great point. And that, and that is one half of what we're looking at here. As right. both these guys pointed out, probably I would guess, I know it's true for me. I know it's true for a lot of my friends who have been church shopping. Um, the bigger thing you're looking for is community is friends is that kind of stuff over a really awesome preaching or super tight theological explanations. That's also fine, by the way. Um, You can say it's perfectly fine to say, I don't like, I don't really like the kneeling and the confession of sin is a little weird, but 
you know, my, the small group is great and they have, you know, a bunch of other parents of young children and we're that. So that's important. And everyone's really nice. And the, you know, the pastor was super nice to talk to and he seemed really helpful. Um, I don't really care for the preaching because it's just not my style, whatever those things are. And it's perfectly fine to go the other way. It's perfectly fine to say, no, this is, this is super important to me. That's not super important to me, but there's not really one set of things that is more holy than the other. And you have to prioritize. I think people get a little caught up in, or can, depending on how they've gone to this before, get a little caught up in, well, I need to, I really need to make sure the theology is locked down. I need to make sure that the, they don't do any weird things and worship that annoy me or whatever. It, it's kind of like, I would compare it to going to like a restaurant. Um, you don't have to like everything on the menu. There could be a couple of dishes that you really, really enjoy and exactly what you're, you're in the mood for. And there's some other stuff that, you know, wow, we really like this Mexican restaurant. This, the chips and salsa aren't actually very good. So I just don't eat those. Um, but the, you know, the, the enchilada is really not my socks off. So this is my favorite restaurant. That's fine. There's very few things in life you will like every single thing about, and that's okay. You don't have to like everything about your church. If you do, Hey, awesome. Um, you're a very, very, very extreme minority, but I hope it's true for you. But as you go to look at things, what you want to prioritize can often be as important as the, the things you are noticing. And you may have to do a couple of visits before you realize what that is, which that's totally cool too. Um, but the other, the other restaurant analogy I would make is with something like theology, you definitely want something that, you know, to go back to parts of the emergency believes, you know, what the Bible says about like the core of Christianity. There's some stuff mm-hmm. we should be, we should, we should really should make sure is locked down. Like if they're, if they're really nice people and the potluck is awesome, but they kind of don't actually, and they don't actually believe in Trinitarianism or, you know, the, the, you know, substitutionary atonement or whatever that could be an issue for some people. And that's fine. That's we're going to draw that line. What is probably not going to happen is you're going to, fi- you're probably not going to find the church that has perfect theology. Now the rest of have found it. You're probably not going to find it. So I, I would compare that again to the restaurant thing. Does every restaurant I'm going to eat at have to have a hundred percent at all times on the, uh, the food safety score? No, things happen. You know, if they have a C minus, that's going to be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a choice between maybe a place where it's not as tasty, but that food, but that uh, food safety rating is an A versus, well, sometimes this is really good, but C minus that's a little different than I'm looking at. Well, these, you know, these both have, both of these places have, you know, 94 health scores. So I'm going to pick the one I like. It's um, there's a threshold system, I guess is what I'm trying to say there right. <laughs> on things like theology. And that's okay too. And uh, as ever, if you have any questions, as you find things along the way, you don't know, you don't know uh, what you're looking at. You don't know what they're trying to say. Uh, let us know. And one other thing I'll throw on the end here to where it kind of Lee started off his answer to a great uh, story with, you know, I just didn't like the power stance or, you know, we know people have gone to churches and it's, it literally is as much as, um, you know, the, the way they do the greeting really rubbed me the wrong way. It's perfectly fine to have things rub you the wrong way. Um, you do want to push past that through that a little bit. And that's where the analysis comes in. To do that, why didn't I like that? Why did I like yeah, this? Those are really, good. really good questions to ask as you're moving forward. Let me move on to our next question here. Comes in and says, I hear people talk about how they discovered their gifts. I don't know what that means, really. How do you discover something you're good at? And what makes something a gift? Again, another very cool question. 
And uh, we, we talked before on the show about how we really always enjoy these questions where you're taking a phrase that you hear a lot in church, in mm-hmm. Christian books, and, you know, in the small group at a place. And it's very, very good to pick into that because there's probably something there. Um, but the way it's being communicated often has a lot of kind of inside baseball talk and stuff on it. So I think this is a great question to ask and a great place to start off. And Jed, where would we start? That's definitely a great question. And I think let's start with maybe the not super satisfying answer, which is it kind of depends who's using that phrase. When people talk about their gifts, that means very different things to very different audiences. So I know that's not the most helpful thing in the world, but it it kind of is what it is. But let's kind of work through some of the are they carrying a pickaxe and a large bag with gold in it? And they're, when they talk about discovering something, they mean something very specific. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But let's, let's kind of work through kind of some of the broad, um, almost archetypes or categories that, that people are coming from when they talk about your, your gifts, right? So on the one hand, you would have very, very Pentecostal Christians who they have a very specific meaning in mind. They, they mean gifts, uh, they mean spiritual gifts, and they specifically mean seemingly miraculous spiritual gifts. So speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, um, you know, when, again, when folks from a very, very Pentecostal background talk about gifts. Word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. Uh, that, that's what they mean. They mean spiritual gifts that are primarily supernatural in nature. Um, Next, if you look at at more mainstream Protestant denominations, when they talk about discovering your gifts, they too mean spiritual gifts, but they generally mean things that are uh, quite a bit more down to earth, things like the gift of teaching or the gift of comforting or the gift of administration. And those things are all in the Bible. Uh, So the idea is that, you know, God gives different people different talents. Um, you could you could think of them as a gift from God, and, and there may be a, an element of it that is spiritual and also an element of just the way that your brain works and your body works and your heart works. Um, but the, the key idea is that there are things that not just that you are good at and maybe better than other people, but perhaps things that feel natural and easy and fun for you. Um, and we could do kind of a, a chicken or the egg thing of saying, well, if you're good at it, wouldn't that make it naturally easy and fun? And if it's naturally easy and fun, maybe you'd you know discover you're good at it. But either way, it's kind of this holistic thing where you do have a talent for it, but it comes naturally to you and it, and it feels natural to you and it feels easy to you and, and, and maybe fun for you. And that same thing could be kind of boring or hard or um, not something that they want to do for other people. That's that's what people mean when they talk about gifts. We'll add in one more. When you look at the um, more of just the mainstream world, including the work world, people talk about discovering their gifts. They're generally borrowing that phrase from Christian spirituality, but they basically mean what we were just talking about minus the spiritual element. You know, you you have talents. You have things that you're just kind of naturally good at. Uh, you have things that you're drawn to, places where you see connections and you see insights, which is really what intelligence is. And so – those are strengths that you can leverage uh, both to benefit yourself and to benefit the people in your family or on your team um, at your work in your house of worship. So that's that's really what all of that means. But now here's the key thing. You're asking, you know, how do you how do you find them? You got to try stuff. There's not really any way around that. Um, there are in the world various forms of surveys and toolkits and whatnot that w- that will tell you what they suspect you might uh, be good at and enjoy doing. But that's not really a substitute for you just got to try stuff. You got to give things uh, a hand. And so 
like a church, that that may mean trying a variety of activities in, in your workplace. That may mean trying a variety of assignments or projects. And here's part of why you got to try stuff. People are not great at predicting their future happiness. Hmm. People can do a decent job of seeing how happy they are today, but they're not great at predicting their future happiness. And there are many really cool, amazing adventures and satisfying activities that don't sound great if you've not done them before, right? Like, think for a second, if you had never played tennis, you'd never heard of tennis, you'd never played tennis, and someone came to you and said, well, go out in the blazing sun, and we will hurdle a uh, a ball at each other as hard as we possibly can, and then we'll take clubs and try and smack it away from us. It, that sounds vaguely absurd. I'm not <laughs> sure that I that I get it. But you get to wear a sharp white sweater. So that's something. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Many people, it turns out, really enjoy tennis. And again, a lot of adventurous things and cool, satisfying activities uh, work that way. So you got to try stuff. The good news is you do have gifts. There are things that God has gifted you in a spiritual sense to do. There's things that God has given you talent for, again, through the combination of your your mind and your body. Um, But God has cool stuff for you to do that you'll enjoy, that'll help other people, that will make this world a better place. And the more you give yourself permission to try stuff, I think the quicker and easier you're going to find those things. That's a fantastic place to start this discussion off. And Lee, let's say we've taken that step that Jed suggested at the end there. We're trying things. We're volunteering for things. We're getting involved. What are we looking to find? What are we looking mm. to do that uh, will either reveal or develop some gifts? Yeah, that's a. It, uh, first of all, I love the way that Jed started us out here. It's a, exactly the right way for us to think about this. And I think the thing that you're looking for, and, and Jed hinted at this in his response, is you're looking for a place where you have you've thrown your hat in the ring to help out. And in the midst of you jumping in there and helping, all of a sudden you find, um, I have a resonance with this. Like, the thing that I'm doing that's helping someone or helping the community or helping the world in some small way or whatever, I really, really vibe with this. Now, that's not to say that every time that you do something in the area of your giftedness, that you're just going to feel like, you know, this incandescent happiness. Um, That's not the way that works. It also doesn't mean that you are not going to expend a lot of energy. Um, What I would say is, even in areas where I do believe that I'm gifted, when I use those gifts, and when I use those gifts to help out, I still spend all the energy. The resonance that I'm talking about is, it's kind of hard to describe, but when you feel it, you know it, that like... I feel like this like this is a these are spiritual terms but the spirit of god kind of comes alongside me and says hey we just hit a groove right here you're where you're supposed to be this is you man this is like this is you doing the thing that you were made to do it gives you um a sense of encouragement it gives you a sense of gladness there's a there's a thing that happens sometimes with <laughs> with my wife, where she has certain gifts that other people don't have. And whenever she uses them, they're the kind of thing that like, if I were called to do this thing, it would drive me crazy. And I would be miserable the entire time I was doing the thing that she was doing. And at the end of it, I'll be like, man, I don't even know how you spent, you know, four hours doing this thing for this person. How in the world did you do that? And she would say, 
I really, really enjoyed it. And I feel incredibly full having done it. Now I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But I have a sense of I have a sense of fullness having done it. Well, that's just you're on the field in your giftedness. The other thing that I would say about this is that even if you find yourself in your area of giftedness, you're not going to start out being amazing at it, even in the area where you're gifted. I remember one time um, um, a musician buddy that that uh, all three of us on the show have asked Jed a question one time about, he, he was just going to school to, to learn to be like a producer and a mix engineer. And he said, how can I get really good at mixing? And Jed said, you have to mix songs for 10 years. That's how you get good at that. There is no way around it. Now, this dude is undoubtedly good at that and gifted to, to do those things and to, to, to hear music and make it sound really cool and make all the stuff sound good together. But like, He's gotten very good at it after doing exactly what Jed said, which was do that for 10 years. Um, Matt and I were having this conversation with some friends a few days ago of just kind of like another kind of thing is when you start out with something, even in your area of giftedness, you might start out doing an impression of somebody else doing that thing. That's okay. Go ahead and start out doing that impression until you find your voice, until you find your way that you encourage people, your way that you pray for people your way that you serve people, your way that you show up for people, whatever the thing is, whatever that area of giftedness in is in. Basically, I think about it like this. Like the the Lord is kind of like a coach who is organizing personnel to put the best team on the field to to accomplish the goal and win the game. You have something unique that you bring to the team that no one else can do exactly the way that you do it. If you jump in there, like Jed said, and just try to find a bunch of places to help, where can I help? Who needs help? What needs being done in this community of believers, at this church, in this ministry or organization? And then you find a thing that you're like, oh, that was cool, and I really dug that, and I had a resonance, and I actually felt an encouragement from the Lord, like this is where I was supposed to be. Then you're finding out your place. And as you do that, you may still have to take a long time to get really, really sharp and good at it, to really find your voice, but you're looking for a resonance. You're looking for a place where that tuning fork in your heart goes off and you feel like this gives me, it. to use a, a phrase that Christians overuse, it gives me life to do this. This is what I'm looking for. I want to find the place where me helping out is also filling me up with some encouragement. I think that's really a fantastic way to describe that, um, because I was I was recently listening to some something. This is just a totally secular therapist. They're talking about an idea that they have given uh, some of their patients that seems to blow their minds, but it, it's something we should all take as as normal. But it really is kind of revolutionary to people with a certain mindset, which is you're allowed to be bad at your hobbies. Yeah, like. Uh, so you you like to play golf or you like to play an instrument or you like to do woodworking or whatever. There, there's absolutely no reason that in order to enjoy that, you need to be good at it or even improving at it. And that is very different than the way we think about a lot of stuff. So if on one hand we have hobbies, things we do just purely for, for the enjoyment of it, and on the other hand we have a, a vocation, something we do to get some kind of material benefit where... um. We all know, and you, dear listener, I'm sure do as well, know a lot of people who are super good at their jobs who don't like their jobs at all. Yeah. That does not detract from them being good at it, and that them not really liking it um, doesn't detract from the fact that 
it it makes sense for them to do. They they succeeded it. They get the they get the paycheck. It is filling the ro- the role it needs to fill in their life. And calling to me as these guys have been describing it kind of comes somewhere in between. Like you, to, in order to be called to something, uh, you're probably going to be pretty good at it at some point. That at some point is very very important. Um, uh, if you're waiting for the thing you're just amazing at out of the gate, that's really really going to limit your options. But it is also going to be something that you enjoy, and where those things intersect in a way that serves other people is about as close to a, a black and white definition of calling as I can get. So if you're looking for something, you're volunteering at things, you're trying stuff out, don't necessarily look for the thing that you're amazing at out of the gate. Don't necessarily look for the thing that other people want you to do or think you should do. Just because you're a school teacher doesn't mean you have to run the children's ministry. Just because you know right. you have a manual labor job doesn't mean you have to be on the the building team, any of that. And often, I mean, oftentimes that is how it works out because people do things they enjoy and they've gained those skills and that's great. But you, I love that idea that the Lee's giving Sarah the tuning fork. You're looking for something to go off it within you that makes you want to pursue this more. As you pursue it more, if it helps people, you're going to find more ways to do it and you're going to find yourself growing in it, getting better at it. And that is going to feel and look a whole lot like a giftedness. And the other thing I, I want to say before we leave this topic is um, for, for, from three guys who have done a lot of upfront stuff uh, for all of us, that's a certain amount of speaking for, for Jed and Lee, that is a lot of music. Um, a lot of what looks like, wow, you're just super good at that is people not seeing several years of you being not that great at it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so again, don't be afraid of that period. If you enjoy it, if you think other people are getting something out of it, and that is oftentimes the skill is going to come after the impact and not the other way around. There's nothing wrong with that either. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I know being humble is good, but there are times like at work when I need to advocate for myself and talk up my competence and accomplishments. Is there a time and a place for not humility? Again, a really, a really cool question. Another subgenre of question that I, we like a lot where you're taking the, the Christian thing that has been, said and you understand it, but there are some places where it doesn't necessarily need to apply in the way it has been described in all things. If you go into that meeting where they say, boy, you're doing a great job and we want to give you a raise, and you just say, oh, well, it's not really me. It's, you know, it's other forces working through me and I'm not in it for a material award. <laughs> yes, individually, those are all things that you've been told are Christian to say and in some way are. Eh, it's still probably not the best thing to tell someone who's trying to give you a raise. So we nope. do have some contextual differences in places there. And uh, Jed, where would we start off with this? It's a great question. Uh, we're glad that you wrote in, and we are glad that you have both a job and that work that you're good at where this question would come up. So congratulations on that. It's great. Um, humility is not about having a low opinion of yourself at all. Yep. Uh, humility is about having an accurate sense of yourself. That means both strengths and weaknesses. Humility is about being connected with the truth about yourself. Again, to underline and put in bold and italics all at the same time. In fact, if the blink font is available, like if we're doing a really old school website where this is just blinking, we want to do that here. Humility is not having a low opinion of yourself. Yeah. That's self-loathing. That's self-hatred. It's not good. It's not healthy, but it's definitely not humility. So we want to be very, very clear. At the same time, it is true that, For a lot of people, they really shy away from simply 
owning and claiming what they are good at um, and owning and claiming when they have done a good job. And I think that you're you are right to look at the working world and recognize for me to advance my career, for me to grow, for me to be recognized. I need to be able to own my own victories. I need to be able to toot my own horn and point at the things that that I have done well. And here is something that I have massively learned from my wife. There's a phrase that Hallie uses a lot. She she will talk about various settings in in her work and she'll say, well, we can have that conversation. And I've I've thought about that phrase, we can have that conversation quite a bit because part of what it implies and part of what she means is there are different kinds of conversations you must learn to have in order to be good at things. There's a kind of conversation that you have when you hire someone. There's a kind of conversation that you have when you let someone go. There's a kind of conversation that you have when you negotiate a deal with a new client. If you've never had that kind of conversation before, you are new to it. And by definition, you're not going to be great at it because having a specific type of conversation is a skill. Lee is a very gifted pastor, but part of the reason he's a gifted pastor is there's a lot of kinds of conversations that pastors have that Lee has done a lot of and so has gotten very good at, to tie back (laughs) to our last question, for you, learning how to have a conversation where you point out a thing you are good at and succeeding at and have demonstrably done well without weirding yourself out or weirding anyone else out, that is a skill. That is a kind of conversation that you must learn to have. It's not unhumble, but it may feel uncomfortable and new because you've not done it before, and it is a specific skill set. The good news is the more that you have that conversation, the easier it will get, the better you will get at it, the more you will learn your own sense of how you like to express things, how you like to point out what you have done and that other people can get. But to be clear, if you the first couple times you try this, if you feel kind of weird about it, that's not the spirit convicting you that you are guilty of the sin of pride. It's yeah. a, a new type of conversation you haven't had before that you are discovering how to have. Give you one more thing to think about before I throw it around. In a lot of things, it's good to know the direction that you're that you air in, right? Like um, if you have a stove, maybe it uh, it overheats or it underheats. You you should know which side it goes in so you can compensate for that, right? Well, same thing for for all of us, right? Like for some people, do you do you give into your anger too easily or do you wait too long and get and get too angry? Which which thing do you do? Then you know how to compensate. For you, if you know that you underrepresent yourself, then one good guide, particularly in your early stages, is you should feel uncomfortable. You should feel like you are saying too much about how good you did because that means you're pointed in the right direction. If you if you go to a conversation and feel like, I don't think I bragged very much, then you didn't brag enough at all. If your tendency is to undersell yourself, <laughs> yeah. be aware of that direction of error and use that as a guide to begin to learn how to calibrate. An excellent, excellent place to start that off. And Lee, I love this direction that Jed has started us off here because I think it um, feels better maybe to to us, to the question asker, to re, kind of reframe this and that we're not trying to find a loophole in humility so that we can uh, brag on ourselves when we need to. And we're maybe trying right. to get to a better understanding of humility that does apply in kind of across the board. And where would we go with that? That's exactly right. I, I'm going to 
come in on the exact same groove that, that Jeb was playing there. And I want to use one kind of biblical example that I think helps people, and I know it helped me, but I think it helps people reframe their sense of what humility is. Jed's exactly right. Humility is not having a low opinion of yourself. Humility is having an accurate view of yourself. And then the only thing I would tack onto that is, and being a person who is within that willing to serve other people. Yeah. Um, and let me give you a great example of that. I, I don't know if you know this, but this is just a little Bible nerdery. There is only one place in the entire New Testament where Jesus describes his own personality. Only one time. Um, which seems like an odd thing to say, but it's, it's absolutely true. It's in Matthew chapter 11. At the very end, Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Um, he described himself as humble. Jesus is perfect. He does not lie. We So Jesus is saying, if if I was just going to tell you one thing about my personality, the thing I'm going to tell you is I am humble. And which is like, oh, okay. It feels weird for us, but Jesus was humble. But at the exact same time, he also said about himself, I am the bread of light. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He um, claimed to be the Messiah of God. And when somebody said, are you the Messiah? He didn't say, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's not all that. He didn't, he didn't, you know, try to tamp it down or anything like that. All the things that we think humility means. He knew exactly who he was. And yet within that, he was willing to wash people's feet. He was willing to meet with people one-on-one. He was willing to serve people. He was willing the he came down from heaven into this world and, and lived as a poor, homeless peasant. Um, he he had a perfect knowledge of exactly what his strengths were, was not afraid to claim those for himself, and within that was willing to serve other people. And I think that is an, an important thing. I would say this, and, and this is something that, you know, as a parent, um, you know, Christy and I have always tried to, <laughs> to try to impress upon our kids as they've grown important things that, you know, make you the kind of human being that other people would want to hang out around, um, because that's an important deal. And, you know, you know, not being a braggadocious, bombastic, you know, prideful person has definitely been one of those things. But within that, um, we have also impressed on our kids at the exact same time, a, a, you know, a, a good view of humility that also is unafraid to root for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's always been very important for us that we tell our kids exactly who they are, where they are strong, where they are uniquely cool, and and make sure that they understand they're not leaving the room and if if they are if they are, you know, throwing shade on our assessment of their coolness. Um we want you to be in your own corner about what makes you uniquely cool and amazing. You should know what those things are. And you should know what they are at a place where you're, this is a funny thing to say, but like, like gratefully confident about the things that make me cool. Um, you, you should root for your own self. Um, and especially in the, in, in your, in your job world where you're going to have to know what your strengths are when you're interviewing for, for work and stuff like that, be willing to, to, to know to know where you're awesome, to know where you're uniquely cool. And then within that, demonstrate with that person you're talking to, and this is why I'm the kind of person that can serve, that I'm the kind of person that can make this team work better, that I'm the kind of person that is willing to jump in there and 
and be a helps person in, in a way that's cool because I know who I am and I know what I bring to the table. And this is why it's going to make um, your team a, a, a cooler place and a better place and run more efficiently. All that stuff to say, knowing who you are is not the opposite of humility. Um, knowing who you are and being willing to serve within the unique coolness of who you are, rooting for yourself in an honest way, that is a very cool and awesome way to be humble. I think it's such great stuff. And to put that in this context, um, I think one of the things where people who are not used to um, maybe even speaking well about themselves, and you know, that's very cultural, and a lot of times it is more with women, a lot of times it is more with uh, people who have been uh, minorities in other ways where they feel like they just kind of can't uh, crow about their accomplishments the way that uh, white dudes are uh, natural, just naturally bred to do. Um, it is a thing where it can feel like you are doing the thing we all dislike in other people where they're making everything about themselves. They all know that person who, no matter what story you have, they have a more impressive one. Um, no matter what, uh, you know, what the context of this conversation is, they're finding a way to make that about themselves and how cool they are. Nobody wants to be that person, <laughs> but to go back to what Jed was saying about, you know, the type of identifying the type of conversation we're having, the example Lee just gave, if you're in a job interview this person is the, the kind of whole pretext for this conversation is why should I hire you? Yep. Yeah. So tell, saying positive things. Why about should yourself. I give you my money? Yes. <laughs> to saying positive things about yourself is not, it's not the same as the person who wants to sit down at the dinner where we're, Oh, well it's, you know, Jeff's birthday and he's having a hard time and they just want to talk about the amazing thing they're doing. That's a very different context in the same way. Your, your quarterly work review is, a context, you know, that you're hopefully the per, your person you're talking to is saying, you know, how did it go? What's going well? What's not going well? The, with the subtext of if it's like bonus time or salary or whatever, is there a reason I should be giving you more? And it is not a bad thing to to talk about those things. And if you don't want to, if you want to take that first step um, of not talking about you and you being great, the easiest way to do that is. Talk about things, kind of take that step apart. And it's not, I am the smartest person who works here. It's well, th this is what happened. You know, this, we did this and this went better than we thought it did and the team and whatever. And you want to move into, and I think I played a role in that. And here's what I sent that. Or if it's a, if it's a job interview, you don't have to go in there and tell them you're the smartest, greatest person who's ever lived. And they'll regret never hiring you. You can say, you know. I can't keep these alligators down, Matt. That's right. You don't have to go for it, Flair. You can. I see. Hey, everyone should do it at least once. Um, <laughs> talk about the 10 pounds of gold. You'll meet him at the Omni, the whole thing. But you can definitely say, here's what, here are the skills I have. Here's the, uh, the, you know, the, the accomplishments I have. Don't talk those down. But if it really, the, I think one of the best ways to push to that initial uncomfortableness is you don't have to start by talking them up either. Mm -hmm. You can let them be what they are. You can say, you know, I'm applying for this job. Here's the degree I have. Here's the work experience I have. To Lee's point, here's why I think I'd be a good fit. Here's why I'm interested. There's nothing wrong with advocating for yourself. That is totally right. different than overblowing your accomplishments or, uh, you know, getting a big head or any of those things that we, we think of when we think of unhumbleness. If you're, as long as you're talking about things that actually happened, you know, if you don't, don't tell me you have a PhD from Harvard, if that didn't happen, that's, that's not great. That's also not bragging. That's just lying. But a, a good place to start is by just being honest uh, to all the way back to where, where Jed started. Us. It's about being honest. And if something is good, it is honest to say this was good and it, it happened and I was a part of it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
and to uh, land release said, we think that you should definitely do that because we think the world of all our fine listeners, if you have a question, you can write into us at say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridge, Chicago.tumble.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, take out the song this week. This fits along with some of the themes we've been talking about of God giving us better things. This is a Jed song called you have better. Take that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. You have better for me than I have for myself. You were sad in heaven when we deserve hell. You offer me things that will not fade away like the love of a father who is here to stay. And I don't know how to be happy and I don't know how to live and I what made sense to me, but it was all just counterfeit. You have better for me than I have for myself. You were sad enough, heaven, when we deserved hell. You offered me things that will not fade away, like the love of a father who is here to stay. And I want things that Sir.